Colossians 4, the last two verses here is where we direct our attention. Paul has been wrapping up his letter for quite some time, but now he is ending it entirely and perhaps even takes that pen in hand and writes the last little bit of this wonderful letter to the church in, church in Colossae. And the emphasis he's made upon Christ, his supreme uh, preeminence, his superiority over all man-made religion and philosophy, his power over the sanctification aspect that we think we need to have self-abasement and the harsh treatment of our body. And he says, no, you need to look to Christ. Look to Christ for your salvation, for your justification, sanctification, glorification. He says here and has a special word for a man and, uh, and then just a general greeting at the end. In verse 17, he has a word for this man, Archippus. He says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. And then in verse 18, he says this greeting, the greeting is in my own hand. Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. He says this to Archippus. Now, he's been saying these words to the Colossian church all this while, but now he says to them, hey, say to Archippus, this is what you need to know. Why is Paul, why doesn't Paul say directly to Archippus? Because he, he does that on other occasions. He talks directly to individuals. Think of in uh, Philippians chapter 4. In fact, here it is. He says, um, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to think the same way in the Lord. So he addresses himself directly to them. We know Archippus from one other place, and that is in the letter to Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon. Archippus is also mentioned in relation to Philemon and possibly his wife Apphia. And the question is, is Archippus there in the church in Colossae? Because he's, Paul is mentioning him here in Colossians 4 in relation to the church in Laodicea, maybe he's ministering in the church in Laodicea, or maybe he's, we have no idea. In other words, we have no idea. What is Archippus doing? What is this ministry that he has received in the Lord? We're not sure. He has some connection with Colossae, some connection with that neighboring city of Hierapolis. But why doesn't Paul speak directly to him? It may be that he wanted the voice of the church, as one person said, uh, the voice of the church to minister or to give this message of exhortation, of encouragement, even of warning for Archippus. Maybe uh, as this letter was written to the church in Colossae, he wasn't there, perhaps, but maybe he was in Laodicea. I remember he said, read my letter, this is Colossians, but also read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. If you look, and maybe as we talked about that, maybe that's the book that we know as Ephesians. Could be. If you notice at the end of Ephesians, he doesn't have the typical list of names that are mentioned. Like, for example, we've, we've talked about uh, all these different folks beginning at verse 7, Tychicus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and John Mark and Jesus, Justice, Epaphras, these different folks that, that he mentions. He only lists or mentions Tychicus there at the end of Ephesians 6. And it is to say he's coming with this letter and he's going to tell you about all my situation here. Kind of the, what we study here in Colossians 4. He says that but he doesn't list anybody else underscoring or maybe giving more credence to the idea that Ephesians was intended not just for the church in Ephesus, but the church churches and all of Asia, and of course now in Kentucky. Good grief. The, that word gets around. So it could be that Archippus was not mentioned in Ephesians because that was intended not as a personal letter, but as a generic kind of a thing, whereas Colossians is more more of a personal thing. Archippus is mentioned, as I, men as I said, in Philemon 2. He's mentioned there as a fellow soldier, one who is uh, bearing up under the weight of the, the warfare that is going on in 
where? Colossae, Laodicea, we're not exactly sure. He might be a member of Philemon's household. He might be uh, going on there. But Paul says to the church, hey, make sure you exhort and encourage Archippus in this way. And he says, take heed, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. What is this idea? This idea of, of taking heed is, is kind of in a negative sense, beware or watch out or, 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 or uh, be on guard against. Well, you, that's not the right, the, the right nuance of the word here. Take guard against or beware this ministry because this is a bad deal. It'll probably end in your, in your death. That's not the idea. He says, take heed or make sure that you take full responsibility for this ministry that you've received in the Lord. Be ready about any complications, any, any obstructions that you may have in the fulfillment of your ministry. Be on the alert for these things, not so much for the work, but for the response to your work in that regard. But here he, he says, uh, make sure that you are uh, seeing to it. Make sure that you apply yourself fully to this work. This idea of taking heed is, is the basic idea of looking or seeing, watching. Uh, we see it mentioned in, for example, Matthew 24, more in the negative sense, see to it that no one deceives you. In that context of the Olivet Discourse, the end time stuff that Jesus is teaching his disciples, see to it that no one deceives you. Well, what does that imply? People are going to try to deceive you. So be on the alert. Watch out for that. Make sure that you remain steadfast in the truth. Mark 4 and verse 24 says, Beware, it's translated there, watch out, take heed to what you listen to. It reminds you of that old kid's song, right? You grew up with, be careful little eyes what you see, be careful little ears what you hear, and so forth. Be careful what you listen to, the teachers that are out there. And they're so winsome sometimes, teachers that come through well, uh, prose, lectures, sermons, whatever, but also through uh, the media of music and movies and books, fiction, whatever else. Be, be careful what you listen to. Weigh it. Watch out that no one deceives you. Pay attention to these things. Be alert in these things. He also says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 10, take care. Take heed, it says here in Colossians 4, but take care if Timothy comes, that he's with you without fear, for he's doing the Lord's work as also am I. So take care. So give your attention to these things. Archippus, make sure that you pay special attention to your work, your ministry that you've received from the Lord. Well, what is this idea of ministry? Take heed to the ministry. You want to be careful to fulfill it. Well, what is this, this ministry? This word ministry or service or work, maybe your translation has, is used in at least four different ways in the New Testament. And that is to say, it refers to meals. And you think, oh, yeah, where's the, is this a potluck Sunday? No, it's not, sorry. But meal preparation and the distribution of that food. Luke 10 and verse 40 is that wonderful uh, story that, that reminds us of what's important in life. Martha and Mary. Martha, of course, was distracted with all her ministry, all her preparations. What was the preparation? Well, food service. She came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care? You don't want to approach the Lord in that way. Don't you care? Well, David did a lot of times. David, uh, God, don't you see? Arise, rise up and do something for me. Don't you care that your servant is suffering? But he's, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the preparations? alone. Tell her to help me, is what she said. That preparation, that ministry was food service and, and preparing that meal for Jesus and all those who were else, else were there. 
Acts 6 and verse 1, you remember the Hellenistic widows who were being overlooked in the daily ministry. The daily ministry, what is that? It's many translations have the daily service of food or distribution of food, the, the daily uh, 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 passing out of food during that difficult time when much persecution was going against the Christians there in Jerusalem. Also, it can refer to something that is both food-related but also financial-related. That is what we see, for example, in Acts 11. Because there was a famine in Jerusalem, Paul and Silas were sent from the church in Antioch to carry some a contribution for the service, for the ministry of the brothers living in Judea, and they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. So there's that idea of providing for the material needs of, of somebody. Ministry. Is that what Archippus, hey, take heed to the, the daily distribution of food. Could be, could be. Uh, this word ministry is also used kind of euphemistically in by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talking about that ministry uh, of the saints to those in Judea. Now, this isn't the same as in Acts 11. That happened earlier, but Paul had a continuing burden for those saints who were in Jerusalem who were suffering, especially during this time of famine, not just persecution and, and being excluded from the synagogue, excluded from normal trade relations in Jerusalem because, oh, those are Christians. Those are Nazarenes. We don't want, we don't deal with them. And so the church, Gentile, predominantly Gentile church, cared for the needs of the Jewish people. This is something separate. And Paul was going around the different churches in Macedonia and Achaia, so it'd be Philippi and, and Corinth especially, and raising up money to carry back to Jerusalem with him for the ministry uh, to the saints there in Jerusalem. Mentions it, I don't know, four different times there in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So ministry can refer to raising up and giving a financial gift to somebody. Paul uses the word ministry to and Peter as well to refer to the apostolic ministry. So the ministry of serving Christ as a witness of his resurrection. We see the first use perhaps of that in Acts 1 when the apostles are recognizing the replacement because Judas is gone. We need a 12th man on our team and they selected one. Acts 1 and verse 17, uh, Judas Iscariot was counted among us and received his share in this ministry, the apostolic ministry. And then verse 24 and 25 talks about, uh, we want to know whom you, God, have chosen to take the place of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. So there is that idea of apostolic ministry. Is Archippus an apostle? Well, he's mentioned nowhere else. As I mentioned, only these two times, Colossians and Philemon. Is he an apostle? Probably not, uh, although Paul makes, Peter, of course, is one saying that. Acts 20, 24 says, I, I want to finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God, which really leads us into the, the fourth or the third, where are we? Third, fourth idea of what is this ministry? It's a ministry of the word. The apostles were given specially to that ministry, as he mentioned back in Acts 20 and verse 24, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In that same context of the, of the daily ministry, the daily distribu distribution of food back in Acts 6, the apostles said, it's not good for us to neglect the word of God to serve tables. You get some other people to do that. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry or the service of the word. And so this ministry is not just table service, contribution, or apostolic work. It's the ministry of the word, distributing the word of God. Second Corinthians makes a big point of that as well. We have a ministry of reconciliation. What is this? It's a message. We proclaim a message. We proclaim that Christ has 
Christ, God is pleading through us, be reconciled to God through Christ himself. We have this ministry of the word. The apostles have it. We have it as well. Ministry, though, with all those other connotations, can just be a generic something to do, a work of service. Uh, for example, in Acts 12, verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, fulfilling their ministry. Now, that could be their apostolic ministry. It could be in relation to that bringing food or money, rather, to the church in Jerusalem. But they finished it. They fulfilled their ministry, and they took along with them John, who's also called Mark. Lest we think, oh, the service is just for apostles. Maybe Archippus is something related to the apostles, and maybe this word to, to Archippus is, is nice because it's important for us to know what the apostles say to those other people out there, those Christian leaders and stuff. But, you know, ministry is what we all do. Romans 12 verses 4 through 8 talk about the, talks about the fact that we are members, all members of one body, and the members do not have the same function. Isn't that wonderful? We who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, but having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, whether prophecy in agreement with the faith or service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching. Oh, so it's just those people who are gifted servants, right? Those who have the gift of service or ministry, they're the ones. no. We want to be careful that we have, as he says in 1 Corinthians 12, there are varieties of ministries, services. So it's not just those who have the gift of ministry. It's everything that we do as a Christian as a gift, as a, as a work of service, a ministry for the sake of the Lord. And we have the expectation that we want to fulfill that ministry. We want to do what is right in our ministry. Ministry can have a generic idea, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me for service. So he's able to serve me. A general idea of serving, take heed to the ministry, is that we have the need for equipping. For Ephesians 4 and verse 12, these apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. The question is, and I won't get into all the stuff about that. Are those, is that fourfold office or four offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher? Is that, are they equipping the saints? Are they the one doing the work of service? Who's doing the work of service? Is it those leaders or the church generally? The saints, as I mentioned. I'm going to favor the idea it's the saints, which includes the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. We equip one another through the ministry of the word of God. Tychicus is mentioned as, as a faithful servant of the Lord. Epiphras is also mentioned as a servant of the Lord. Again, the idea is whatever that ministry is. Is it food service? Well, serve well. Make sure you wash your hands before you serve the food. But take heed to that ministry. Is it in sharing money, contributions to other people? Is it fulfilling your work as an apostle? Well, not today, because I think the apostles have all died and gone to their reward in heaven. Is it fulfilling the ministry of the word? Yes, I think that. Is it ministering in any particular way? Yes. What was Archippus doing? We have no idea. But he's supposed to take heed to it. He's supposed to fulfill it. Make sure that you fulfill this unknown ministry, Archippus, whether it's a temporary thing, whether it's a permanent, long-standing, until-you-die kind of thing. Make sure that you fulfill that ministry. Some have suggested that it had something relation in relation to Onesimus and the, the restoration of Onesimus. Could be. We just don't know. There's not enough information to, to understand what was this ministry. But we do know, as it says here, it's a ministry which you have received in the Lord. This idea of receiving a ministry is, is uh, to be appointed for a particular work, a task, something. You've been uh, selected and set 
appointed for that, uh, fulfilling that specific issue. We saw it back in Acts 1. We want to take, we want somebody to be appointed to the place of his ministry. Judas was, is gone, so we want somebody to take or be appointed to this ministry, this apostleship from which Judas turned aside. Paul says it this way. I mentioned it already in Acts 20 and verse 24. He says, I want to finish or fulfill my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Notice there he said, I received this ministry from the Lord. Here he says, I received, you received it in the Lord. Now we're going to talk about that in just a moment. What is that difference? Paul, of course, received it from the Lord, that divine encounter he had with the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. Archippus is a little bit different. Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verses 10 and 11, as each one has received, this is the same word of you've received it here in the Lord, as each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And you think, oh, good grace. I didn't know that was part of the salvation thing. I thought it was just me and Jesus and me. We have a good time and I'd be with him in eternity. What about this thing? I have to serve one another? What about being... Uh, a good steward, a steward of something that doesn't belong to me, it's been entrusted to me, and I have received a gift, so I need to fulfill it. Yes, that's all of us. We can think about Archippus and say, hey, I hope he did it. What about me? What am I doing? Let me read it again. As each one has received a gift, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, as one speaking the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and might forever and ever. Amen. It's a big deal to fulfill our ministry, to do that which has been entrusted to us as stewards, managing something that doesn't belong to us. It's been a gift, not for our own purpose, not for our own use. Read 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 12, 13, 14 about the proper use of spiritual gifts. It's not for myself. It's not me and, and God having a special time. It's employ it in serving one another. If your gift is given to you, you use it to serve one another. Be careful. Look for ways that you can use your uh, your stewardship, that which has been entrusted to you. So be faithful in fulfilling that which you have received. He says, in the Lord, not from the Lord. Paul received that direct commission from God uh, in that at time of, on the road to Damascus. But here he says, this is with something you received in the Lord. It might be a direct commission from Paul. It might be something that somehow Archippus interacted with Paul, maybe in Ephesus. Remember, he was three years in Ephesus. Maybe Archippus came back and forth. And so there was something that, that Paul had said, hey, work on this. I'm, I'm giving you a special task. Maybe when you go back to Laodicea, or maybe we can go back to Colossae, make sure you focus on this issue. What was it? Don't know. Be faithful for what you have received in the Lord. The other commandments that are received from the Father. Jesus said, this commandment I received from my Father. It's a little bit different way to say it. Here it's received in, in Christ, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, what is this idea of in Christ? That is, or in the Lord here. That is one either in Christ or in, in the Lord or sometimes in Jesus. But usually the other two are used all throughout Paul's writings where he focuses on it's in Christ, it's in the context of Christ, it's for the sake of Christ, it's, it's empowered by Christ, it's to the advancement of Christ's glory. All these things. Make sure that you, Archippus, take heed to that ministry which you have received in the Lord as a servant of the Lord. Uh, in the Lord's uh, service, other people would have translations. And he says, what are you supposed to do about it? Not just take heed, watch out, pay attention to it, but fulfill it. It's, it's not enough just to watch something over here and say, well, I'm watching it, kind of like that, that one who was entrusted with one talent of, of gold or silver, whatever it was, and watched it do nothing, 
Whereas the other guys, they put it to work. Don't just watch it, fulfill it. Bring it to completion. Bring it forward. Make it complete. Uh, make it as full as you can. Do business till I come. Jesus gave that admonition to the to the stewards back then. Make sure that you do everything in your power and even beyond your power to fulfill that ministry which you've received in the Lord. Finish these things. What was the thing? Again, we don't know. But the idea is put your full energy into it. This is not a new idea. It's not something, well, we we need. We don't exactly know what Paul means by this. What does it mean to fulfill? We could turn back to Colossians chapter 1. He's already given his own expression of that. I have received a, a ministry, not just in the Lord, but from the Lord himself. I have a stewardship entrusted to me. And he says in Colossians 1 and verse 24 and following, I rejoice in my sufferings. And you remember, it's not just that he stubbed his toe trying to get to the, the pulpit preaching the gospel. He's in prison. He is in prison. He's been in prison for five years, most likely, at this point, under under guard. In fact, he says it in the next verse, remember my imprisonment. But I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and I fill up, same word, kind of even intensified, I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in my flesh in behalf of his body, which is the church, of which I was made a minister, servant, according to the stewardship from God given to me for you. What does he say? So that I may might fully carry out or fulfill the preaching of the word of God. And then jumping down to verse 28, he says, Him, Christ, we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. And notice verse 29, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his working, which he works in me in power. So there is that, not just a half-hearted or maybe I'll do it once in a month or kind of thing, but something that is actively striving with, together with God, his working, to fulfill this ministry, to fill the preaching of the Word of God. Fulfilling that ministry is something that he mentions elsewhere uh, as well. In fact, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, he says to Timothy, You be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of evangelist, fulfill, complete your ministry, your service. Timothy, you make sure you do that. Archippus, did he hear? We don't know. We'll have to ask him in glory when we will see him and meet with him and talk to him. Hey, Archippus, how'd it go for you? What was that ministry? What was that special thing you had going on there back in Laodicea or Colossae? I don't know. Are we going to even think about it in relation to what Christ has done for us? We're going to just be so grateful to be there with all the other saints who have all sorts of stories to tell, all sorts of accounts of how they endured hardship. They did. They fulfilled their ministry. They received maybe fruit from their labor, maybe not. Maybe it was the next generation that that, that raised up the or, or received the raising up of the seed that the previous generation planted. We don't know. But we do know, verse 18, Paul took up that quill, that pencil, that, that pen, whatever it was. Those are anachronisms. The quill, something he was using to write from his, what's called, this is a good word, amanuensis. Amanuensis. Can we say it together? Do I need to? A secretary. Paul is most likely dictating this letter. He's spoken this all through from, from verse 1 to the end. And now he says, hey, Whoever it was, uh, he had different folks. Romans was written by a guy named Tertius. Romans 16, I don't know, verse 20 or something says uh, about Tertius. Uh, says, I, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. So whoever it was that was writing down Paul's words, he picks up that, that pen and says, this greeting is in my own hand. And you think, isn't the greeting supposed to come at the beginning of the message? Well, it did, and it comes at the end. We have a greeting, Paul uh, and Timothy to the church in Colossae, grace to you in peace, etc., etc. So that's a greeting. Here we have a greeting at the end, a final greeting, a, a blessing, a benediction perhaps. And he says, this is in my own hand, Paul, 
He signed his name uh, with his own handwriting. He did that on various other occasions where he took that took that quill, that writing instrument, and wrote some final word. We can see it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21. He says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Galatians 6, 11. Some people would suggest even that he wrote the rest of Galatians from verse uh, chapter 6, verse 11 to the end of the of the chapter. Could be. He, he just didn't give that that uh, writing instrument back. But he wrote it with his own hand. Was he right-handed or left-handed? Doesn't matter. Whichever it was, he, but he wrote it with his, own, with his own body, making sure that he marked that letter as authentic from him. It's not to say that letters that don't have that same uh, indication aren't from him. No, we have good reason to, to receive the things that we attribute to Paul as being from Paul. But he says this is giving a little bit added personality because Paul had not been in this church in Colossae. He was not part of that, of the founding. He, he knows a lot of what is going on there because of this man Epiphras, and yet he wanted to have that personal touch. He wanted to have this, this final thing, and probably he, he kept writing. All of verse 18 is probably written by Paul himself, and he says, I'm greeting you with my own hand, but also remember my chains. Remember uh, what I have been doing, especially for you Gentiles. We saw at the beginning or earlier in chapter 4, that he said in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak the mystery of Christ for which I have also been bound. In that context, he's speaking the mystery of Christ and he's been bound as a result of that. We looked at that. What does that mean? Many things, but I think specifically it means he's preaching the gospel to Gentiles and the Jewish people couldn't abide by that. No, you don't preach. Don't do that over to the Gentiles. That's for us. Well, you didn't, you didn't heed it. You didn't listen to it. You didn't embrace Jesus. And so I'm, I've preached the gospel to the Jew first, right? Romans 1.16. But having repudiated it, I turn now to the Gentiles. And that is what got him in prison. That's God what, is what he is suffering for, uh, his, his sufferings for Christ. And so he says, remember my chains. Not just, hey, remember I'm in prison, but reflect on it and realize I have laid down my life for you, for the gospel coming to Gentiles. Make sure that you act wisely. Make sure that you are a good steward of what I am accomplishing for you. We have the admonition, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, Luke 17, verse 32, Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. You think, oh, what was her name again? Wife, Lot's, Lot's wife. Remember she died. She turned back when she was supposed to run, go to, the, go to the mountains. Remember and don't suffer the same fate. Remember and persevere in God's grace. Remember is not just recall to mind, but do something about it. Remember my imprisonment and, and st remain steadfast in this gospel. Remain steadfast in Christ. Don't turn to these things over here, those things over there, these false teachers over there. Remember, I am in prison, really in prison, because of the gospel going forward to the Gentiles. Remember, he says, remember my bonds, he says. This idea of bonds or chains here, there is a, a special word, a specific word, I should say, for chains, like the, the chain link things that you're actually bound by. The word here translated chains is is more generally emphasizing the idea of having been bound, being being not under your own authority or at liberty to do whatever you want. You are you are bound by some something else. It's used figuratively, perhaps, for uh, folks who have a uh, been bound by some disease. Uh, Mark 7, verse 35, his ears were opened and the impediment or the, the, the bond or the bound of his tongue was removed and he began to speak plainly or freely. 
and some other times as well that that's related it's used in relation to a health or a supernatural even controlling issue but here he says i have been bound i am not free to go about even though at the end of acts 28 he talks about he's receiving people coming back and forth in rome and and uh, freely giving out the scriptures well he's giving out the word because freely because and, and people come to him because he can't do it himself he would normally be going this way and that way and this way he wanted to go into spain he wanted to go he wanted to go around the world bringing the gospel but he couldn't he was bound at that time Again, the idea emphasizing emphasized here is that he is controlled not by himself, but by his guards, by his prisoners, or his imprisoners, his, the ones who are watching over him. It's used generally to talk about imprisonment uh, or even chains. It's translated a lot of different ways, this one word. But again, there's a specific word for chains, the actual metal stuff that holds people together. There's also another word for being guarded. So or being held in custody. Somebody's watching and keeping guard over this thing. But Paul is emphasizing the fact that I am restricted in my movement. Remember that I can't be, I would love, perhaps he's even saying, I would love to be with you and to encourage you personally, but I am bound here. I am still in Rome under house arrest and waiting my trial by Caesar from before Caesar. So he says, remember what I'm doing for your sake and you be faithful. You do the work, not just Archippus, but all y'all do that work that has been entrusted to you. And finally, he ends with this word, these words, grace be with you. And it's not just singular you. He's not just talking to Archippus. He's saying to all this church, all, all y'all, all, if you remember your proper Southern grammar, all y'all, all, you, you have grace. God's grace is with you. And it's not just a future kind of idea. Someday you'll have God's grace, which there are a couple of examples of that. Second Corinthians 13, uh, 11 and Second John 3 talk about the future idea of grace and mercy and peace will be with us. We look forward to that. But it's something right now, something as it's actually not translated here. Grace be with you. That be is that word be is supplied because is this some, it's, it's a wish, in other words. It's, it's a blessing. It's a, it's a desire that God's grace, that cr- the grace of Christ specifically, would be with all the church. Not the, the foolishness, not the false teaching, not the works righteousness, not the distractions from Christ, but being connected and, and fully uh, living in the head. God's grace, the grace of Christ be with you, with your spirit, in your midst, talking on your lips. Make sure that your speech is gracious. Make sure that you are celebrating Christ in all of his glory. I'm suffering in prison. I'm doing this for your sake, but God's grace is with you. I can't be with you, but Jesus is with you. If Jesus is with you, y'all be careful. Fulfill your ministry. What has Jesus entrusted to you to fulfill for his name? What does he expect from you? What does he want from your life? It's not a, a browbeating time. It's a time of rejoicing. Wow, he has considered me faithful, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He considered me faithful, pressing me into service. Me, faithful, who used to persecute the church, leading Christians into jail, killing some, like Stephen. He was there giving hardly approval to his death. God has entrusted each one of us with some work to accomplish. Many works. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. These works are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. From the beginning of of creation, from before then, God expects us to do things for his sake. Let's be faithful to do it and realize that always his grace is with us. Always he is with us to empower us to, in that future day, say, well done, good and faithful servant, minister, Enter into the joy of your master. Paul did. 
Archippus, I hope, did. Tychicus, all those other men, all that we mentioned. Pray that each one of us would as well. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this word from Paul to the Colossian church and then, of course, to us and the joy that we have in Christ, the, the confidence that we have to enter into your presence because of what Christ has done and the confidence we have that we don't need anything else. We don't need the wisdom of the world or or the, the harsh or, or severe treatment of the body that somehow recognizes uh, pursuing the, the mistaken notion that our own works can justify us or sanctify us. It's your work in us. It's your sanctification. Now, we have our own responsibilities, of course. We want to fulfill the ministry toward others, but also the ministry of sanctification being the uh, example that we can be for other people. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians um, 11, verse 1, be, or follow my example as I imitate Christ or follow Christ's example. Help us to grow. Help us to fulfill the ministry you've received, we have received in the Lord, that we be faithful to complete it. Please save and sanctify any here, all here. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.